It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On today's Locked On Thunder podcast, the Oklahoma City Thunder fall to the Memphis Grizzlies again in Memphis. Why is it such a hard place to play for Oklahoma City? Is the writing on the wall for Darius Baisley's future in Oklahoma City? And how did SGA perform against Memphis's long defense? We'll talk more about that on today's Locked On Thunder podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder Podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, media member, and editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com. Ryland Styles, you can follow us on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com. On today's show, brought to you by LinkedIn, we are diving into the Oklahoma City Thunder, falling to the Memphis Grizzlies again, snapping their three-game winning streak. Is the writing on the wall for Darius Baisley and his future with Oklahoma City? SGA struggles in Memphis again, and the Thunder suffer a blowout loss, really for just the second time this season. Uh, otherwise, it's been, it's been a pretty competitive season so far. So let's dive into today's show, which is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. So the Thunder were without Lou Dort. Without Kenny Hustle, without Chet Holmgren, without Usman Jang, without Lindy Waters III, and the only DNP CD from this game was Darius Baisley, who was a did-not-play coach's decision for the second straight game. The Thunder start with SGA, Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams, Pokashevsky, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Interesting starting five, having to replace Lou Dort in that starting lineup, and so they go with Jade up at the three, and then have the kind of two bigs of Poku and JRE. The five uh, players who had the most minutes in this game were SGA, Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams, Jeremiah Robson Earl, and then Eugene Omarui uh, was the fifth one. And the Thunder lose this game in Memphis. Memphis once led by 23 points, their largest lead. They get a blowout win. Six lead changes, four times tied. OKC never grew a lead larger than three points. And the Thunder always struggle in Memphis, going back to... You know, last year when they had the worst loss in NBA history, like literally the worst loss in NBA history by 70-something points. And then this year, they've played twice in Memphis. Both times, the Thunder struggled. Both times, SGA couldn't get it going. Uh, I feel like the first meeting between these two teams was more so SGA being fatigued and, like, just not having it. It was on. It was kind of on one of the last legs of a road trip. They had played... Uh, you know, what was it at that point? Five, you know, four games in five nights, whatever it was. And I think that it was more kind of fatigued at that point. In this game, Memphis is just 
they just are able to swarm you. They have so much length. They can wall up at the rim and they take away the paint. OKC shot terribly in the paint. They, they just could not score in the painted area, which is their bread and butter. Surprisingly enough, this team that usually struggles to shoot threes and usually cannot convert from beyond the arc, their three-point shot is what kept them in the game. Now you can look at this and say, well, OKC was missing, you want to call it three of their ten best players or four, depending on how you grade out Usman Jang. But, uh, and again, depending on if you want to count Chet Holmgren, because technically they'll miss Chet Holmgren all year. But missing Lou Dort, missing, missing Kenny Hustle, that hurts a lot, obviously. But still... This Memphis matchup is just not a good one for OKC. They have John Morant, who goes for a triple-double and hits the gritty mid-game, like in the third quarter. He hit the gritty. Uh, and then they always have somebody that can just pop off, like they, that can just step up. They have so much depth, even in this game where they're missing Desmond Bain and they're missing some other key pieces uh, of their roster. Dylan Brooks is incredible on both ends of the floor, playing really good defense you know, on that end, and then offensively scores 24 points with five made threes. He had a steal. He had a block. Dylan Brooks was all over the floor. This is just not a good matchup for OKC. Because when you have a team that has these prolific shot blockers like, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., um, like Steven Adams got a couple. Jaron Jackson Jr. had five blocks in this game. Five blocks for Jaron Jackson Jr. When you have that length and size and that switchability, it negates SGA's driving ability as he's one of the best drivers in the NBA, if not the best driver in the NBA this season. Whenever you take that away, you get so dependent on the three-point shot, which OKC shot 36% from three overall, and they had 12 three-pointers by the midway point of the third quarter. But the problem is, this team is not built to be playing from beyond the arc. It's it's like an, an NFL offense that's not built to play behind the chains. So like if you get a big sack or you get a, you get a big, you know, tackle for a loss. You know that their passing game is too weak to to, to kind of uh, dig themselves out of that hole. It's the same thing with OKC. Yeah, their their three point shot kept them around in this game, and, and it allowed them to have twelve three pointers in the third quarter, and and they enter the fourth quarter in like a seven point deficit. But in that fourth quarter, whenever you take SG off the floor and you no longer have that gravity to help your three point shooters, the three point shots no longer fall. The percentage tips down, still to thirty six percent. That's still a really good percentage, but it, it did dip down from where it was at. Uh, over the course of the first three quarters, and then Memphis can grow their lead from there. Depending on the perspective of how good Memphis was, the Thunder shot 37% from the floor. 37% from the floor. The Thunder were just dominated in the points in the paint. Memphis had 62 points in the paint. OKC had 38 points in the paint. So the Thunder shot 36% from three. They shot 37% from the floor, Meanwhile, Memphis shot 51% from the floor, 36% from three, and 81% at the line. OKC got out-rebounded by two rebounds. They had four more turnovers than, than Memphis. That's six possessions given up right there. And the biggest point is the Thunder just could not capitalize in transition. I don't know what it was. They couldn't. They'd get a rebound. They'd get a steal, right, force a turnover. They'd try to go quick, and... There'd be an errant pass or a botched lob play or, you know, a bad read by the ball handler. They just could not score in transition. They turn it over, much less miss the shot. And so when you can't score in the half court in the paint and you can't score in transition and you're a team that's not built to blitz the three-point line uh, for, this, for the entirety of the game, again, they did a good job of it for the first three quarters, 
you're not going to win very many games. You know, of that play style. But here's the real thing. Here's the kicker. This team, without Lou Dort, without Kenny Hustle, without Chet Holmgren, without Usman Jang, and, and of course, without the moves that they're going to make in the offseason, they're just not deep enough offensively. Right? So Memphis dominates points in the paint, 62-38. OKC had 18 second-chance points. Memphis had 12. Memphis had 18 fast-break points. OKC only had 9. But here's the kicker. For the first three quarters, each quarter was separated by three points or less. But in the fourth quarter, OKC gets blown out 29 to 15, and that's the kicker. That's the difference. First three quarters were all separated by three points or less. Fourth quarter, the deficit is 29 to 15. And that's the risk of of having to depend on one player, having to depend on SGA to, to carry your entire team and you put so many miles on him in the first three quarters that he has to start the fourth quarter on the bench. And whenever that happens, you run the risk of getting buried in the first, you know, five minutes of the fourth quarter, and then it's over. They tried to get SJ back in there in the fourth quarter, but it was too little too late, so they just decided, of course, to kind of wave the white flag, so to say, as they should. You know, you, you need to conserve, conserve as many miles as possible on SGA you know, throughout the course of the season. But when you add in... Chet Holmgren, when you add in whomever you draft in the 2023 NBA draft, when you add in whatever you do in the offseason, that allows your team to get more depth offensively to where you can survive these non-SGA minutes easier. And sometimes they do it, right? Sometimes you see Josh Giddy take over the fourth quarter and they survive the non-SGA minutes and they win the game. In fact, that's what's happened in all, you know, 11 of their wins so far this year. But when that doesn't happen... When, when that doesn't come to fruition, well, it's going to be a tough road ahead. And it's going to end up like this. I want to talk about Darius Baisley and his second consecutive did not play coach's decision. I want to talk about SGA kind of struggling a bit. And then Jeremiah Robinson Earl as well, who is gaining way more confidence, which is going to be very important for the future of this Thunder team. But first, I want to tell you right now, but good friends over at LinkedIn, folks. LinkedIn is incredible these days. Every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you need to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Check it out today and add your job with the hashtag we're hiring frame, which is going to be a purple hashtag. We're hiring frame for your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates that you want that have just the right skill and experience, so you can quickly prioritize who you would like to interview and then thus who you would like to hire. It's a incredible tool for you. This is why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering qualified hires versus their leading competitors. Check out LinkedIn Jobs. Help. They will help you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster by posting your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedInMBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedInMBA. To post your job for free, terms and conditions do apply. Check out LinkedIn Jobs today and post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA.
We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. We are back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at Thunderpod. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Thunder your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. For your next listen, check out the Lockdown Sports Today podcast for the games that matter the most and the biggest storylines around all of sports. Go beyond the box score and behind the scenes at the Locked On Sports Today podcast on uh, YouTube, just like this podcast is, or wherever else you get your podcast from. Subscribe to both shows, this show and Locked On Sports Today on YouTube, and drop a comment down below. Let me know your thoughts on why Memphis is a tough matchup, and also your thoughts on Darius Baisley. So Darius Baisley had his second straight game of did-not-play coach's decision. In the last five games... Darius Baisley has played just 33 minutes. And I don't want to overreact to two decisions by Mark and kind of overanalyze it because he's been very transparent that the team is going to try to find ways to get other guys' minutes. And so sometimes it's Wiggins with three straight DNPCDs, and now Wiggins is playing some more minutes, and, and you know they flip-flop roles, so to say. And so maybe in the next stretch of games, as they return home to play Miami and return home to play Memphis again, maybe then it'll be Wiggins with the DNPCD and, and Baisley will play and uh, we'll kind of go back and forth on the seesaw of, of what, how we feel about these players. So I don't want to overreact too much. However, I do think that there is some writing on the wall with Darius Baisley's future. Look, Baisley plays really good defense. Really good defense at the NBA level. He can switch one through five. He can do a lot of good things on that end of the floor. But he's just not up to par offensively. And I've been very vocal that some of that is on the Thunder. Like some of that, in my opinion, is on the Thunder. Now, I think that Basley's best role offensively is not to just sit in the corner and shoot a spot up three whenever uh, he gets the ball kicked out to him. I think that the best role for Darius Baisley is to be the big, is to be the five and, and, and rim run on the pick and rolls and cut to the basket on the baseline, sit in the dunker slot. Like there's so many other ways to use him as a more active offensive off-ball player than just having him sit the three-point line because he's, he's never going to thrive by sitting at the three-point line. The question is that we, we'll never have truly answered is, is that the Thunders doing? Like is that just Mark telling him, hey, sit at the three-point line, don't move? Or is that Baisley not moving off-ball, just him not doing it? We don't know whose fault it is technically, but the way he's using Oklahoma City just is not very good. Uh, whether that's his fault or the Thunder's fault, I don't know. But to me, his offensive role, not being up to stuff, is more so with the way he's utilized, either his decision or the Thunder's decision. I think a change of scenery does him very well. I think that Darius Basley has a role in the NBA. I think that he can be an NBA player and an NBA rotational player that helps you in the postseason, it helps you get to where your team wants to be, especially if you can utilize him in a different way offensively. I think that that will be 
huge in helping him. And I think that you may see Baisley go to a new team and play a lot better and think to yourself, huh, how is this happening? Well, it's because, you know, he's using his positive traits, you know, you know in, in that new setting, hypothetically. His positive traits do not include sitting around and shooting a three. They also don't include whenever he gets the ball and he, and he drives into traffic and loses it and tries these spin moves through the lane. That's also not his positive trait. So that part is on Baisley. You've got to cut that stuff entirely out of your game. He's gotten better, right? It doesn't happen every single game anymore, and it only happens once a game if it does. But that's got to be something that is totally negated from his, from his arsenal. But the reason I think that the writing is on the wall for Darius Baisley, he is a restricted free agent after the season's over. And Sam Presti, throughout his career, typically does not let players hit restricted free agency. So, could a trade come about between now and the deadline? Sure, it could. I think that it very well could. Do I think Baze will be back in Oklahoma City next year? No. Uh, if I had to bet money right now, I would bet that Baisley is not a member of the Thunder whenever the season tips off in October next year. And that will be best, I think, for both parties involved. You look up and down the slender roster. They've got to make at least one roster spot up to take on their, their draft pick in this coming season. And so here's your impending free agents slash guys who you could get out of. Baisley, who's a restricted free agent. Mike Muscala has a club option for $3.5 million. You can decline that if you want to. And then from there, you have Isaiah Joe, whose, whose deal is probably only partially guaranteed, obviously, for next year. Wiggins, whose deal is only partially guaranteed next year. And then your two two-ways are obviously going to be two-way restricted free agents. But in terms of like full-time roster slots, which you need to take on this, this draft pick, you're between Baisley, you're between Muscala, you're between Isaiah Joe and Aaron Wiggins. Well, I think that Aaron Wiggins is a nice little ball player that you're going to want to keep around. And I think that he's outperformed Darius Baisley, despite Baisley being in the first round pick. He's outperformed Darius Baisley. Isaiah Joe versus Baisley. I think that everyone will take Isaiah Joe right now because of his three-point shooting and his skill set that provides more uh, in the modern game and, and what the Thunder need than what Darius Baisley needs. And then Muscala, the $3.5 million club option, I think that the Thunder will pick that up and utilize him as a, a nice veteran presence for this team. He's kind of, of course, he's the only old guy on the team. He's 31 years old, be 32 next year, and he can be somebody that can actually mentor and help Chet uh, as he... You know, gets back on the floor after this after this injury this year, and gets back on the floor next year for his actual rookie season. So those are all the names of guys who you could who you could theoretically get out of. That's it. You have to create at least one roster spot, and depending on some moves you might want to make with your cap space, you might need to clear a couple. And so the pathway to doing that is just easiest with the area space. And so I don't think it'll be in Oklahoma City next year, and I don't think that um, the Thunder will hold on to him. I think that they'll try to trade him and we'll see if a trade comes to flourishing or not. But to me, the writing is on the wall, not even necessarily because of these specific two games, because I do think that the Thunder are truly trying to cycle through a bunch of players. And they're truly trying to, to figure out what they have. And, and, and somebody has to sit to do that. Just like, just like two weeks ago, we were complaining that Wiggins was not playing enough because he was just the guy that had to sit to gather players on the floor. But there's just too much value in trading Baisley because I don't think he's part of your long-term future. I think that that, of course, opens up more minutes for a guy like Jay Whale or whomever you want to play in his slot. And, you know, just the history of what Sam Presti's done 
I'd be surprised if he's in Oklahoma City past the deadline, or, but especially, you know, again, a trade might not come to fruition because what, what's kind of the fair value? So, but I think especially next year, he's not on the roster for Oklahoma City. We'll talk about SGA thriving at the free throw line, but not really anywhere else uh, over the course of this game against Memphis coming up. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back on the Locked On Thunder Podcast. On the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com. On today's show, brought to you by LinkedIn, we are diving into this game against Memphis. We talked about the writing being on the wall for Darius Spacey's future. Now, let's talk about SGA. SGA dominated this game at the free throw line. He went 17 for 19 at the free throw line. The thing is, on his way to 26 points, 17 of those 26 points came at the free throw line, and he only made four shots. You know, what What, what was the exact number that he made? So that way we, we get that totally right. SGA, yeah, made four shots. One three-pointer, three within the, within the three-point line. He shot 28% from the floor, only made four shots, went one for four from three. He had five turnovers, five of them, seven assists, three rebounds, a block, just pressing a bit offensively, it felt like. But the Thunder just have too, I mean, I should say the Grizzlies just have too many buys to throw at him. Whenever you're looking at how to defend SGA, this is how you do it. And it'll get harder as this roster gets more flushed out. So let's remember that. Like, as... As he's kicking out to better and better three-point shooters, it'll get harder and harder to defend him. But as of right now, you can just wall up at the rim and surround him whenever he, whenever his foot touches the paint. There should be three, four, five Grizzlies in the paint with him. And the Grizzlies using that strategy is a lot more effective than other teams using that strategy because the Grizzlies have guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. who swat away five shots. Jaron Jackson Jr. had five blocks. Steven Adams had two blocks. Brandon Clark is... is incredibly lengthy and had a block himself and is incredibly good at, de- at defense and switchability and, and, and keeping up with SGA. All these guys can just swallow you up at the rim. And that's what happened in this game. And SGA still found a way to score 26 points, still got to the free throw line 19 times and converted 17 of them. So he, th- he, he was thriving right at the free throw line, but just, was not a good game from him anywhere else, and and that's a lot of matchup dependent. You know, that's a lot of matchup based stuff from SGA. Uh, Jeremiah Robinson, though, I want to talk about this for a second. Jeremiah Robinson, showing a bit more confidence from three. Now, look, he only shot one for four from three, but I've always said process over results. This is an example of that. He took a contested three without hesitation, and that is the stuff that you're that you had not seen from him last year. He, last year, he's very hesitant, very timid, had to be just, just sparkling wide open to take the three. This year, he's trusting himself a bit more. And that was the first time we've really seen him just pull one without hesitation whenever there's a guy closing on him and actually contesting the shot. And that's good improvement from him. You want to see him get more aggressive in shooting that. 
One for four is not bad. It's also not his best night. He can do better than that. He will do better than that in, in certain games, and you want to see him keep shooting. He goes nine points and nine rebounds. Trey Mann in this game. Trey Mann made a few bad reads early on. Like there was there was one ex- ex- specific play where they ran a pick and pop with Jerry, and Trey Mann chose to drive into traffic at the rim instead of kicking out to Jerry, who popped on the pick and pop uh, at the top of the key, and nobody followed him. He was just wide open at the top of the at the top of the key for a three pointer, and 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 Trey Mann couldn't find him. But as the game went on, Trey Mann did settle into this one. He went three for six from three, including a step back three, 12 points, two rebounds, a steal. And the way that he played in the later stages of this game, I hope can help him uh, break his his skid, his slump ever since the injury. Uh, Eugenio Maruri also got some run in this game. There were some times where there was some miscommunication, especially on one play from Pokashevsky, where Pokashevsky uh, went to that step-through move that he does and tried to pass to the corner where Eugene was and was wide open for a corner three. It was a nice read by Poku. However, the problem was Eugene cut thinking that Poku was going to go ahead and actually shoot the step through and Eugene wanted to be there in case of a, of a miss. But had Eugene stayed in the corner, wide open three-pointer, if he knocks it down, of course, that's an easy three points. But still, Eugene played well. 11 points, four steals, uh, two assists, five rebounds, five for 11 from the floor. But those miscommunications are going to happen, especially whenever you're bouncing back and forth with playing with the blue and then playing with the thunder. And then of course you're cycling through all these different teammates and you haven't gotten enough run with certain players. Like that's, that's just how this goes, right? So it's hard to blame it on anyone specifically whenever those things happen. The thunder were seven and a half point underdogs. They of course did not cover in this one. The MVP of the game, this one was really tough. Uh, SGA had 26 points, but again, it's not like he played incredibly well. Uh, but we'll go ahead and give it that shade. Drop below in the comment section on YouTube. Who do you think was the MVP of this game? I think that that's a very interesting discussion for after this game against Memphis. But tomorrow's show will be a mailbag episode. So you can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore styles and drop below any questions that you have. I'll tweet out a, a prompt for the questions. And also, if you're watching on YouTube, just go ahead and comment them on YouTube and I'll answer them on the show um, uh, tomorrow. So make sure you comment them on YouTube right now and subscribe on YouTube, like the video on YouTube. And until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.